0: Hi, I'm John. And I'm Colin. And I'm Nick Nolte. This is Hold Up. This is the show where we talk about movies from long ago and not so long ago and see if they hold up. I blew my butt off. I'm all messed
1: up down there. (laughs) (laughs) Cue the theme song. This great evil. Where's it come from? It's still into the world. What seed, what root did it grow from? Who's doing this? Who's killing us? Robbing us of life and light. Mocking us with the side of what we might have known. benefit the earth? Does it help the grass to grow, the sun to shine? Is this darkness in you too? In
0: 1998, we got The Thin Red Line. This is a uh, stylish, poetic movie about World War II, going to the Pacific Islands uh, in Japan. And, uh, we get a crazy, uh, ensemble cast. I think there's nothing else you can do, but call this an ensemble cast. So here we go. We got Jim Caviezel, Sean Penn, Nick Nolte, George Clooney, Adrian Brody, John Cusack, Woody Harrelson, uh, Ben Chaplin, Elias Cotees, John Travolta, John C. Riley, Jared Leto, Dash Mahook, Miranda Otto, Tim Blake Nelson, Thomas Jane, Nick Stahl, uh, some other people you definitely would have seen around, uh, the block. A lot of these, most faces, if not, all of these are, are uh, recognizable faces now. So, um, yeah, th- this was a... Um, this movie came out the same year as um, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I remember these were in theaters almost at the exact same time. Yeah, they
2: both got nominated for the same awards, too. And, yeah. And, and they Private Ryan won all of them, I think. I think
0: it did, too, yeah. Uh, so Spielberg well, versus Terrence Malick. No, this movie didn't win any, and w- w- um, <clears throat> I would have been... 20 ish around when this came out. Um, And the saving private Ryan appealed to me more on its face um, because it looked like it had more of the battley action scenes and war drama. Whereas this one pretty much on the opening of this movie, there's just some, you know, beautiful shots um, as uh, Jim Caviezel is on his little paradise part of, of the world. And, and then there's some poetry being read and, you know, at 20 years old, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? I probably would have snapped it off and turned back on Saving Private Ryan to watch uh, that guy get stabbed slowly in the chest, which haunts me forever.
2: The best, the best review I heard someone say in describing this movie is that it wasn't a world war two movie. It was a movie about why we have a soul and uh it's it's wrapped it just takes place and during the war and i thought that that was probably a really interesting description of this movie
0: yeah uh so very accurate anyway if you've not seen terrence malick movies then um watching one for the first time will kind of come out of left field at you but after you've watched a few of his um you kind of get what he's going for and it seems to be completely that the the shots on the screen and the words are uh, just just beautiful. Um, you, you might not like his movies and you might not want to be the type of person who reads into uh, subtext or um, metaphor or anything like that if you just want to watch a you know shoot 'em up movie like a John Wick or something like that. But Terrence Malick comes at it from the exact opposite direction where nobody is explain-a-logging, at least not in a way where they're saying exactly what's going on. These people are explain-a-logging using uh, for this movie, in particular, Poetry. Yeah, Dead Silence. Good. Um, no, no, sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It is, but it is, like, the opening of this movie is beautiful, and, and for anyone who's not been to, like, the Pacific Islands, uh, you know, Japan or the um, around the Philippines area or Hawaii even, um, it's, like, just so, like, crystal blue and palm trees, and, and in the opening scenes here, we get, like, young kids playing around, and... Um, the adults playing with them, and these people obviously live a very simple life that would make you question a lot of things about your own life.
2: Yeah, the beginning of this movie for me has always been, uh, oh, and over the years I've seen the beginning. I've even just watched the beginning of the movie and not watched the rest of the movie. For me, it would be like it's something beautiful. that we should all, everyone should do once a year, which is uh, I feel like even more and more now. I feel this way that we should just we sh- once a year everyone should get rid of their phone and go live like like so simply as these people for a week because we we get so zoned into our bullshit yeah that we lose perspective on life and when you watch that opening 10 or 15 minutes it's just like so life-affirming and and it's just so much more about um, living off the land, and it, it's not that that character is, the,
0: is doing it either, and you're just seeing him do it. Like you, you kind of experience it with him. It's so beautifully shot and done. The music, and, and yeah, great. the music, and and the I, the music under is the unbelievable. What, yeah. what's even more interesting too is that yeah, everyone, you know, you're working your your nine to five job, your shift work job, whatever it is, you absolutely should be getting away for this kind of a um, experience for this kind of an experience, knowing that when you return you'll be back to kind of like the mundane grind of life which you know just because of how our society set up you pretty much have to in order to survive but the movie makes it so much more interesting that it's juxtaposed against this guy's got to go to war yeah. so he goes from the most extreme beauty to the most extreme chaotic evil um it, that that, uh, that idea to me is just really interesting yeah. that's why that's why the whole movie even when people are having crazy things happening to them and it goes to some of their inner monologue um, or, or it's taken a moment to reflect on what's happening and then we're back into the craziness. It, it's, it's, um, it's just the t- two sides of things on the screen done, done very beautifully. There's a
3: massive juxtaposition going on the whole way that the, the, those inner monologues that that keep going on for me, like those give me shivers on and on and on. And I know people like I've read criticisms talking about like, the philosophy in this movie isn't deep and blah 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 the rest of it but i think actually the greatness is that a lot of these thoughts don't have like a particular depth to them necessarily but they are still deep thoughts they're things they are rational um rational kind of like a like a observations right like yeah. things that you would think and then start to wonder and especially like in the crazy and like the pointlessness of it all You'd start to ask these questions, but like Jim Caviezel's character in particular has some of the best, like, like John was saying, like poetry in just his like inner monologues, especially in the beginning when he's talking about like seeing his dying mother and asking her if she's scared of death and she's like shakes her head. And he's talking about like, I was so afraid to touch the death I see in her. I couldn't see anything beautiful in it. Like that stuff is beautiful. It sets the tone for the movie really well too, because you're seeing all of this beauty, and you're also like having these deep thoughts that are like also kind of dark but also kind of upliftingly beautiful and I don't know man, and then he's sitting with champagne,
0: yeah
2: yeah i uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> and champagne's a motherfucker no
2: <laughs> i would uh you ever feel lonely <laughs> only when I'm around people yeah
0: yeah weird
2: i i would also uh yeah i i like the uh it's almost it's almost the stuff they're saying in the voice or is almost there's a there's a voice that's none of the characters that bookends the movie too. it starts at the beginning and then it has it at the end as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost common sense, but said in an interesting way. But it's stuff we don't think about. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very common sense. It's just like, why are we killing each other? Like, why are we doing that? Who's making us do this? Why are we doing this to each other? Like I feel like it's that stuff that that is common sense, but we never take a moment to actually question it. It's just like, why the fuck are we, why are we fighting with each other? Like, what what is it that's driving us? Like, is it is it our ego? Is it is it
0: evil? Is it yeah? Yeah.
2: It's just a it's a it like it doesn't have to necessarily be like it is deep and philosophical just because we don't think about it. I guess
3: it goes to show though, because all of those people in this movie, the ones that are actually fighting and dying and doing the grueling duty that is like war, right? None of their monologues discuss needing or wanting the war or any of the objectives about it
0: or agreeing with the politics or agreeing with the
3: politics or even mentioning them. It's all about their inner life. The so guy's talking f- about his girlfriend. Some people are talking about love. Some people are talking about the the um, the absurdity of the conflict, right? Yeah. But none of them are talking about the objective or the patriotism or anything else, which I found to be, like, super interesting. And actually, there was something, which is what I was looking up when I ignored John at the beginning, which I read and doing my research. I found a guy who was talking about his criticism, not his criticism of the movie, but his review of the movie. And he was discussing this... Um, this historian Shelby Foote, And he, he, so he wrote this, this is what the Shelby foot guy wrote. There's a general belief that war. So this is about war books, but apply it. There's a general belief that war books promote a love of war that is true about bad war books, but every serious book about a battle or about a war, if it's serious is bound to be anti-war because the truth is it's more bloody than it is glorious. And the suffering is a far bigger part of it than the patriotism and the glory. And now we'll come across with an honest writer. Cheap literature hurts everybody, but decent, honest literature will always carry this anti-war message. It's bound to be there. No matter how patriotic a man may sound underlying it, if he has a good eye, everybody is going to see through the phony patriotism and the ephemeral, ephemeral, uh, my tooth is missing. Thank you, John. Yep. And to the real suffering of it and especially the absurdity of it. So that's about books, but I think it really applies towards this movie. This movie is
0: very deliberately anti-war. Yeah. Right? It's disruptiveness, and it's destroying, and it's... Well, anyone anyone in the character in the movie who has... Uh, Elias Cote's character, who's the... The, the captain. lawyer. Yeah, yeah, the captain who, like, doesn't want his men to get chewed up and send them into needless death. Um. And then you have, like, Nick Nolte on the other side who's a little bit removed from that particular scene, but he's just push, push, push. He's get, all about get the Get the job done and get the glory. So, I mean, right there is the is another dichotomy between, you know, when you're, when you're in it and you're thinking about people and the absurdity of like, I'm not going to send my men to get killed and versus the, the other view, which is like, we need to take that hill, go take it. I don't give a shit about any of the people that you're surrounded with. I didn't go to boot camp with them. I don't have a relationship with them. In fact, Nick Nolte looks like he's a salty enough, uh, commander that he has probably been and seen this stuff in the past. And he knows that you want to get, you want to get something done but he hasn't, he even talks about, it. he's never had a war. He, this is his first
3: war. No, That's true. his big thing is that this is his big <clears throat> moment to try to prove himself, especially with that setup in the beginning with, um, with Travolta. Yeah, I know. That's where right. Travolta's like, yeah, a lot of, yeah, you're, I respect you. A lot of people would have given up before you. Right. Um, so Nolte is driven by the glory. He's driven by his career pursuit. He even says in that one spot, which I love, he's like all I might've given for love's sake, if given a chance. And then he's like, too late now Hmm. right so it's like he might have been a softer man might have given up this world might have pursued the love or whatever right but now it's too late for that it's full-blown fucking career right yeah and so he doesn't care because i think actually uh codius or whatever um uh what's his face his character is the lawyer when he's trying not to drive his men up the hill it actually seems like the strategic right decision they're just getting destroyed yeah and a flank probably Hmm. would have been the right thing but Nolte doesn't want any hiccups. He's no. like, we're taking the shit. I said, we're doing this. this
0: yeah, do it. Just keep throwing men at it and we'll get there.
3: Yeah. yeah. I
2: also, I feel like, um, um, you're right about it being anti-war, but I feel like that's almost too simplistic. Our, 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 I don't, I think that would still come off as disingenuous because, because it's the same with, um, other war movies like Full Metal Jacket. It's, it's not as much anti-war as it is... Um, like real war? It's just like this is what it's really like and uh, it's not good because it, it, anti-war... I don't know, it, it's almost... But that's just, anti-war. You're right, it is. I guess I just feel like that whole thing about why we have a soul is like... It's such a... This movie is such a grandiose um, thing about the human... The, just the human experience. And so... And it just... It's just taking place during World War Two, so it it's just more so about like how fucked up and. But I think that's
3: and, I think that's the contrast that that speaks the anti-war message. Is it, it's talking it, about all the beauty and the complexity of, of normal yeah. humans, and you're destroying that it's, with this pointless bullshit. Yeah,
2: and I mean this is totally semantical, and it's maybe it's silly to bring up, but I, I feel like it's just more pro pro life. It's just more about life as an ex what the experience is. Because even um, Full Metal Jacket, they just show you how fucked up it is.
3: Well, Full Metal Jacket's another good... Yeah,
2: yeah. But it just shows you how fucked up it is, how they break you down and make you... Because the whole idea of Full Metal Jacket is how are you, how is a person who goes to the grocery store and likes his neighbors and is friendly to everybody and has a family, kills another person in battle, and it's like, well, they fucking break you down mentally and like rebuild you from scratch. So it's just, it's really showing the, <laughs> like, kind of like the consequences of what it does to these people. Mm. And so, um, I mean, I guess, I guess anti-war to me is uh, almost like uh, people, you know, it's just people are saying, oh, the war is bad. And like, yeah, and I, you're I, looking at it literally. Yeah, anti it's not But, as but if it's, it's like is,
3: an artist, like an art statement. Yeah, it's like pa-
2: a painting about, a painting about like the experience of life almost. It's just to me that is the anti-war statement right yeah it's it's totally anti-war yeah
0: i think anti-war and pro-life are like synonymous <laughs> yeah, right yeah. So yeah yeah
2: it's it's just uh it's such a yeah. the movie is just so grand in scope because it because it's it's exploring everything hmm. uh, and then it uses the backdrop of this this fucked up thing that people went through yeah it's really clever it, it was 5 it, hours long on the original edit yeah. and they um, the original main character of this movie was... Um, Brody. Oh, yeah, Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody. He's like
0: barely in it. Private
2: life. Yeah, so I watched this 24-minute um, documentary on the editing of the movie and it had the two editors who worked on it and they said, they showed... T- Terrence Malick didn't want to watch their first edit. He didn't want to watch it at all but they had to force him to come watch it and so he, they spent the whole day and they watched it. It was five hours and some minutes long and then they started taking it apart and uh, moving things around and stuff, but he wasn't watching. They would edit sections and he wasn't watching it. He wouldn't watch what they'd edited. And uh, he was more interested in this getting rid of all the dialogue. He didn't want it. He wanted to have as little dialogue in the movies as possible and more nature sounds and voiceover. That was his goal. It was
3: like seventeen months of editing, wasn't it?
2: I I don't I don't know they I didn't hear them say how long, but I do know it was like a I long. Think I, I think I read
3: it was like seventeen That's, months. Uh, I
2: wouldn't doubt it because uh, it was like
3: a year for that first five hour thing or whatever, and then
2: the they and, chopped. And yeah. the only part he edited himself, um, where he he because he's never seen the whole movie, or he never watched it with from them with the final edit from beginning to end, which is super weird, weird as well. But he edited himself the 15-minute section where after they take the village, they have that downtime. He edited all that downtime himself until they go back into into the battle. So that was all Terrence Malick's editing. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that was kind of what he wanted the movie to be. And they were like, that's kind of the direction he wanted to go with the movie was to be more introspective about their lives and stuff. He didn't even want to shoot the war stuff. He thought they should have brought in uh, someone who's better than him at shooting the war stuff, like a guy who'd shot war movies before and they could shoot those scenes and he would just shoot all the other stuff, which is really weird too. I didn't read any of that, but yeah. I, d- I
3: did read during like the battle scenes, he was like notorious for like, there would be the battle scene and then it would be like the vicious battle scene in the lens and he would just go and turn it to a parrot or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And like you see that all the way through the movie. but yeah. um, But I mean like, People must have been wondering what the fuck is going on. Yeah. All the money spent on the battle
0: scene. Yeah. He's I, filming I, parrots. I often wonder what he'd be
3: like. Yeah. This himself. was
2: all from the editor's point. What, what they, The editors were saying he wanted to get Renny Harlan, I think they said, to come shoot the action stuff. Because wow. Renny Harlan was like doing movies like Long Kiss Goodnight and Die Hard 2 at the time. Yeah. And he was like, just get a Renny Harlan to come in and shoot the big battle scenes. He's like, and I'll shoot this other stuff. Probably like the jungle and and do the stuff with the main actors and like get the performances but they're like what (laughs) no you're fucking you're the director you direct the movie dude
3: adrian brody didn't even know he wasn't the star until the premiere yeah he went to the premiere Mm. thinking he was the star and then was barely in the movie yeah can you fucking imagine yeah
2: but the movie, could you, I wonder. I would like to have heard what he thought of it afterwards. Because if the movie was good enough, and he is not he's a true actor, yeah, would he have been like, "I really liked it"? <laughs> I Even mean, though I wasn't
3: in it. He might have been like, "That was a good movie," I, but you could have called. He <laughs> could have just been I, like, ah, I, "Look, something's happened."
2: I would love to ask him what his reaction was. Like, not obviously, you're going to be disappointed because that's a big movie, and he thought he was. It was gonna make him a phenomenal star. Mm-hmm. Did you get paid? Did people like the movie? <laughs> well, to tell um to, to have a coke and a, coke
3: and a <laughs> smile and shut the fuck up.
0: <laughs> it's um, I had um, wars always kind of fascinate, fascinated me a little bit, and I um, I read a book from a, a Vietnam commander, I believe it was, and he talked about the history of war, and it, this just goes back to a little bit about breaking soldiers down and um, that back in like the civil war days and like the civil war really did that, did did the civil war come down to like freeing the slaves or was that just from some rich guys who didn't want to lose their free labor defending their, their shit? Anyway, um, a lot of the big fields where they'd find the, 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 the bodies and, and a lot of like weapons buried and they were unearthing them. They, they determined that only like, I think it was like two out of 10 soldiers would have actually been firing at other people with the intent to kill them. And the rest of them would have been so overwhelmed by the situation and so uh, aghast of taking other human life that they would either fire and miss on purpose or like they found a lot, of, a of high proportion of guns that had like many rounds rammed down the chamber so people were going through the motion. And then when everyone was firing, they were just standing there and then reloading again. So um, I think as people started to reflect back on this and see their units in action, they changed the way that they um, prepared soldiers for war. And let's get more into around the World War II time when they were really starting to break them down. And now they've continued that through for the last uh, 50 years or so to really break a person down to his individual pieces. Um, and the other thing they found was really useful was team tactics that you'd be more likely to fire on an enemy or, or do it if you were part of a machine gun crew or part of a mortar crew, something like that. Um, and so I think, I think it's important if we're talking like all these anti-war things that I would definitely say I'm, I'm anti-war, but I'm not anti-soldier. Um, I think the people who are willing to put their lives out there and get prepared for this kind of thing, um, they deserve like tons and tons of credit. And I think this movie in particular does a really great job of putting humans in this crazy situation um, where they don't want to be there doing what they're doing. And and they change over time as the movie goes. Uh, That one guy... In the in the straw grass, he clips that one soldier, and then he goes down. He's like, "I I just killed a man. It's the worst thing you can do to anybody, and they can't touch me for it." He says yeah. he does that in monologue, and it's yeah. Just like, he
2: says it's wor- it's the worst crime you can commit. He said it's even worse than rape, and yeah. I just did it, and no one can touch me. Yeah. yeah. Why? Well, and that's all in his mind. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a really powerful and on his scene. face too,
0: which is what makes that scene so good. He's yeah. Like,
2: <gasps> <gasps> Another powerful scene is when they're up in the hill attacking the bunker, and. They need that guy's help. or they don't necessarily need his help, but he wants to do something to help his men, his 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 you know, his brothers in arms. but he's so scared. And then you can see the look on his face as he realizes that he can't just sit by and do nothing, and he's going to do something, but he has to work himself up to do it. And then he goes and he runs towards the machine gun nest and and then he like throws the grenades and starts firing with his pistol, and then the men fall back. That scene is so crazy because I feel like it's a it's a very true representation of what it would be like absolutely you no, you can never be s- prepared f- to no. do that right like a hundred percent like it's gonna you uh-huh. can you can
0: shoot your guns and you can do your drills and you can go through maneuvers but no no training maybe the maybe the Russians would do it I'm not sure uh Russians write in and let us know if this is the case but they're never gonna fire live ammo at you and I think um whoever said this, that when a fighter gets into a ring, you have a plan until you get punched in the face. And then that all goes out the window. I I, think that's exactly what war is. Yeah.
2: The other cliche is there's no courage without fear. Yeah. And like, that's exactly what that scene's about. Yeah. Like that guy. And then they show the aftermath of that guy in that scene where he's all fucked up afterwards and after they've, they've killed all of them and they've captured them all. And someone goes over and like, and gives him a hug or puts his hand on his head or whatever. Yeah. And he freaks. Yeah. It's just like, it, it just shows it's messed up that they have to do this to these people to get them to fight too, like break them down and and re-engineer them.
3: And the interesting thing, like John's talking about how they break down soldiers. A lot of movies with the world war two guys are conscripts, but these guys aren't, these are soldiers. Yeah. These are, these are enlisted men. Like these these guys are... They're Marines.
2: Yeah. But this was also... Well, they're not Marines, they're Army. But this was, they yeah. replaced the Marines, yeah. Oh, this, right. this was draft, though. Uh, it was World War II, so there was a draft.
3: It, it, there was a draft, but these men aren't drafted men.
2: Oh, they aren't? No. No. These were volunteers? These are these are soldiers. These are
3: actual, like, not, not oh, cons- conscripts. These guys are guys that that signed up. Okay. They've been living together, like, he, uh, what's his name even says? Yeah. Yeah. I've been living with this men for two years and stuff like they, they were actual enlisted men. Yeah. Um, I, it's book based on a book by a guy Yeah. who fought it. Yeah, that's and right. Out, it is based on his James novel. Jones. So, yeah. um, these guys, that's, that's a distinction that I felt was interesting because it's something that I didn't realize. I've watched this movie a lot. I never realized yeah, I that until to. I was reading about it in preparation mm-hmm. for this. Um, so I thought that was an interesting distinction because there would be a mental difference between, Like, like, and John's point was what made me think about it was between actual soldiers and men who were drafted. Men who were drafted would just be like,
0: God damn it. Why am I here? I don't want to be here. Do you know what I mean? But soldiers are like, this is my, what I'm here for. I think they'd either be like, why am I here and and pissed? Or they'd be the more the delusions of grandeur being like, I haven't had as much time to prepare, not as much training. And now I'm over here. I want to do good. I want to kill some Kill some Japs or whatever, whatever it would be. Yeah. Um. And both those types, I think uh, Band of Brothers did a really good job when they have the replacements. Um, yeah, the replacements episode. Episode is it replacements or whatever yeah. they call it? Yeah. And and then those guys are like untrained and, and dangerous and and just their attitudes are not wearing correct the same, because they um, haven't seen it. Yeah. Wearing they have the, the same, same jump, jump stripes and, and all that stuff.
2: I think all the Nick Nolte stuff too. They don't use it. They don't have it a ton because it's a it's about a two hour and a fifty minute movie, but they have. Sections of the movie where it's uh there's two great scenes uh with him. I mean, they're all good. Nick Nolte's great in this. I mean, everybody's yeah. great, but Nick Nolte's Everyone's really great. good. Now you listen but- to me, goddammit! The two scenes that stick out to there me. There will be no flanking maneuver, <laughs> and that one's not one of them. It's, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's the two that are really striking to me because in those he's very confident in what he's ordering to do. Mm-hmm. The two is where I see conflict in him, and it's one where he's speaking to uh, John John, John, John Cusack. John Cusack. Oh, right. Where yeah. John he is uh, he thinks John Cusack's like him, and. And when he's talking to John Cusack about how he's like going to get him everything he wants and they're going to push up the hill and John Cusack's not like him and John Cusack's like, but we need water because the men really need it. And then he's like, and you can see that he's trying to convince John Cusack that, well, they'll get the water later and everyone's going to be fine. And he's like, and there's a pause and he's like, they could die from, from it though, sir. And he's like well, they could die from bullets sir." <laughs> and then and then he, he he goes on for quite a long time about like you know we got to do this and the men are pumped up and stuff and then he goes on for like a really long time but just really more trying to convince himself he's doing the right thing mm-hmm. and then there's a pause and john cusack just looks at him and he's just like well, i want three runners we need to get them water you That's get back here as soon as
3: cusack just stares
2: because cusack doesn't know how to respond because he's not like Nick Nolte. Yeah. And Nick Nolte realizes that and feels bad. He feels guilty. And the second scene is when he fires our our oh, yeah. Styers. Elias Cotees. Yeah. yeah, he fires him and uh, Styres says to him, have you ever had a man die in your arms, sir? Have you ever watched him die and stuff? And then he, like, once again, feels so guilty. He's like, we'll get you. I'll make sure you get a silver star and we don't have, no one has to know about this. Throw pink heart on
3: there too. Yeah. Why? Yeah. For that scratch under your eye. And yeah. Those-
2: And then he's like, and you're going to go back and you're going to be a lawyer like in Washington, D.C. You can get out of here. Like, let's just keep let's just keep this quiet. Well, that's
3: what they both want.
2: Well, it's not what he wants it. He says he wants it later
3: on. He says he said he's like, he's like, I want to go.
2: No, he does. But what I'm saying is, is Stiers Mm -hmm. doesn't want to go because he wants to keep protecting his men. Yeah. Yeah. And Nick Nolte wants him out of there because he needs those men as fodder. Yes. But more
3: than protect his men. He wants to leave that place which is why he doesn't fight and he even tells them at the end that uh, I want to go.
2: But I feel like he f- he does say that, but I feel like he feels guilty because the men well, are... he would feel guilty. The, the men are saying, it sucks what happened to you, sir, and he's trying to make he's them trying feel to keep better. The chain. I,
0: I took it as he was like protecting the chain of command. Oh, that's interesting. Because if he was like, I don't want to go and this is bullshit, the men would have been disrupted.
2: They're like, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. would have
0: had a cause to fight behind. Instead, he was like, just giving the hard goodbye. And he's like, no, I want this. This is what I wanted, so I'm going. You yeah, guys
2: I how I thought like, I he was conflicted.
0: Yeah, well, I guess that's that's a... Yeah, I never looked at it under
3: that lens before. But I
2: love those two scenes because it shows the difference between... It shows the conflict in Nick Nolte because Nick Nolte's been, like he says, this is my first war. Like, I've never had a war. This is... You're a young man and you've got your war now, but this is my first. Mm -hmm. So it's all about him. And then he starts to feel guilty because other people are like... They're like, what the fuck's wrong with you? But they don't say it, but just the way they look at him... He's
3: bloodthirsty.
2: It's just... It's about he's put his whole life his every put everything on hold he's probably put his like relationships on hold his family on hold cuz he he wanted to well, do like this like i said there's
3: that line of dialogue where he says all i might have given for love Yeah, but it's too late and he's a career guy and now, so yeah. now
2: he has to he he has to be successful and he he has to have this thing that he's uh it's like it's like the sniper movie where the snipers never get to actually shoot anybody they go through all that training and then they get to war and then they, they're at the base camp and nothing's going on. And they never, ever get to kill someone. Mm-hmm. But the whole time they are trained to kill someone. You're supposed to kill someone. You're going to kill someone. Don't get to kill anybody. And it's frustrating for them because it was just like, this was supposed to be the whole fucking thing. And I didn't even get to do it. Yeah. That's, it's such a weird, fucked up um, thing they do to these people.
0: Yeah, well, and that in, in these cases, and in a lot of cases, that people the, volunteer to have done to them. But the goal mm-hmm.
2: is to, to go out and kill a bunch of people. Yeah. And if you don't get to do it, they almost feel like there's a satisfaction they didn't get to fulfill.
0: Yeah, but
3: because people are also misled to believing that there's a patriotic and like yeah. a bigger glory duty. But then like Sean Penn says when he comes back and he's like, I'm going to recommend you for everything. And he's like, you recommend me and I'll fucking like basically renounce my my yeah. uh, title yeah, and then he says the whole thing's about fucking property. Yeah. Property. The whole thing's about property, yeah. and it's it's there's That's a, a sick, there's too. a sick reality that you would realize. And like World War Two to me feels a little bit different. Like that one is about property because it's all about having that runway, right? Because then you control this this area. But I mean, there was also like a bigger moralistic aspect to this war that
0: didn't doesn't exist in every war. There's so many good characters in the movie, and it doesn't spend a ton of time with many of them
3: the, the the characters are fucking dynamic there's a lot of them the, the cast is gigantic in this yeah and i read something i was
0: talking about how the
3: celebrity of the character almost corresponds with the rank of the character like um like nolte and travolta would have been like some of the bigger stars at this point they're like both whatever the general they're and also older though yeah. they're also older they're, though too so yeah they're older their too. age but then like pen and um all these guys but it doesn't seem like it totally holds because woody harrelson would have been pretty big at this point george he goes and blows his butt off right away yeah george clooney's like basically just a second in here but there's like think of how many people didn't even make this movie and i was reading about the people that wanted to be in this movie
2: yeah yeah
3: and like they had like brad pitt uh johnny depp Bruce Willis offered to pay for the whole cast and crew uh, to fly somewhere and like pay, like he, with everyone wanted, they were like, Terrence Malick, I'm fucking I'm into in. this. And, uh, and
0: besides Spielberg turned me down. Yeah. <laughs>
3: well, interestingly enough, um, what is it, Michael Madsen yeah. um, and Saving Private Ryan got cast in Thin Red Line, chose Saving Private Ryan, which seems really crazy. Oh, Tom that, Sizemore? Tom mean? Sizemore, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everyone wanted to be on this movie and for him to choose the other way crazy how do you go wrong spielberg or malik though well i mean like we were talking about before though like the glorification of of war or being an anti-war movie saving private ryan to me feels more like glorifying it feels like less of an anti-war movie
2: I, it does but i i used to have a more of a hate on for private ryan because it, it got this movie got snubbed by it yeah but watching them both today they're so different but Spielberg. It, that's one of his there's problems with that movie um but like as for the directing and stuff of the action scenes and some of the acting and stuff i mean it could be one of his best like as a yeah so we'll, i'm we'll trying have to think to, what's we'll better have to do than that, that. We'll have to that yeah
0: i
3: thought you guys did it already
2: no yeah. never we'll yeah. definitely do that though because i think it is a juxtaposition of this movie because it is a bit more rah-rah we got to save the guy like america well, but well, fuck. Still, guys, it still shows, guys, shows how guys. horrible war it does is, still so. show the horrors. It but, does, but it's got it's got the juxtaposition. There is the America, fuck yeah, we're gonna save Private Ryan, America. True. It's a little of that true, yeah. and this this movie has none of that. No,
0: no, even um, so, you know, they, it's so hard for them to take that first hill, and they lose so many men doing it. And then um, after they go on their counterattack into the villages, when you start to get. They, they start to run into more one-on-one into the, the Japanese soldiers and the villagers and and they're like they're in just a ragged mental state mm. um and while some of the American soldiers immediately after taking the village uh, that one guy is like pulling teeth and like waiting for some of the Japanese soldiers to die and like talking shit to their faces and just as hate is kind of spewing out to them um a few moments later after you know all of the all of the events start to unwind on that guy he like freaks out and
3: well that's later at the downtime when they're back at the camp for their um for their
2: time off their relief yeah yeah that's the malik stuff that he edited yeah but he does
3: he
0: has that break yeah he has that break and and it's just the more they're introducing that they're just sad people as well like and and they're probably wondering how the hell did we all get here and why are these people storming our village and why did we have to go bomb their harbor and we just live on an island here. Like what the fuck is going on? Well, when he's laying on that pile of bodies
3: waiting for them to go so he can pull the teeth. I looked up with that guy's screaming to him and that Japanese guy is screaming to him. You too will die. And which makes that scene like so awesome. Cause yeah. he's like laying there almost taunting his death. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like,
0: Japanese like, guys you, you're no better than me. Yeah.
3: I love seeing the Japanese guys meditating. Yeah. Um, to me, that's such a powerful thing that those guys would just choose. I might be shot right now, I might not, but I choose to go peacefully Yeah, and like as calm as I can. And And I like that none of them are shot.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't portray the Japanese as evil here. Whereas, you know, in in any other kind of war movie, there's that more of an us versus them. Like a lot of World War II movies just show like, all the Germans is just straight evil. And yeah, well Hitler was a pretty bad guy. Like. Germany didn't just like snap their fingers and decide to be that way. Like they were, there were events that led up to World War I and there were events between World War I and II that, that caused a lot of people to need to get behind something like... Well, they were like slowly radicalized. They were slowly radicalized because they were, you know, poorly... I don't want to say poorly treated because they, they started another war and did some crazy shit. But anyway, it's, it's not just that these are evil people though. These yeah. are desperate people um, who were then lied to. Um, and you know, if you have a, imagine if they had social media back then, it probably would have all been much quicker to turn around and get those people up. I also
2: feel like the person, the, the people who are manipulating (laughs) them, like the Hitlers and, uh, other people today that are dictators that are trying to take over countries and stuff, um, prey upon a certain feeling that a majority are a small majority of the people have, and then they get behind them. And there was definitely a lot of, um of bad feelings about the Jewish people in uh, in Europe at the time, and, and he totally took advantage of that, mm-hmm. right? And then fueled that fire. And uh, so, I mean, that's... It's the worst kind of shit that can happen.
3: Well, I mean, you see it time and time again because it's the easiest to rally a population behind a, behind a cause, right? But when they're so angry, if you just too. Pick, if you just pick one, one fucking group to be the bad guys. Yeah. And... Um,
2: but when you're the angry you get when, it a lot when you're yeah. angry and you're poor and you're pissed off and then someone comes and says i'm angry and i'm pissed off too and like oh, yeah, that's never do- happening for rich people rich let's- people are like
3: never like oh look at our shitty situation let's rally around the <laughs> but, jewish
2: but they're like let's let's i mean there's there's stuff going on though in other countries today like that uh, in there's in lots of different countries where people are angry and pissed off and people are coming in as leaders and saying yeah, I'm just like you guys. I have the same opinion and let's fuck some shit up. Yeah, here's the
0: reason for it and we're going to fix it. And, yeah. And, and then even better for that particular case of a crazy person who needs to defend their ground and be like, well, you know, these Americans are going to come here under no pretense and just start killing us so we have to fight them. Absolutely. Um. So anyway, it, I love how it doesn't, it doesn't get into any of those politics in this movie and, and you're just all of a sudden you're fighting and you're trying to kill each other. But then when you get face to face, they're just they're just people.
2: It's smart enough to know that you already know those things and it doesn't need to tell you them and yeah. it just shows you within the context It wouldn't of add
0: that. it wouldn't add to the movie because no
2: one no. cares why no. they're there. No, it wouldn't well, and add
3: they've they've been there fighting already the Marines for a while. Yeah. Right? And then these guys are coming in. Um so those guys would be hungry. Oh, they would desperate. be completely fucking war torn. Like they would have already sick PTSD. Plus, if I remember right, like, the Japanese soldiers were, a lot of them were put on islands like this. Like, Guadalcanal is a bigger thing because it had that landing strip. Yeah. Um, But they were, they didn't have great conditions. They weren't fed well. Like, if you look at a lot of these guys, they're emaciated. They're, like, mentally broken. Yeah. Especially that guy with, like, the little pocket knife. And he's, like, laughing. He's so fucking broken. Like, that's, like John's saying, like, there's a humanity there. You look at them, they're not the bad guys. They are just other guys. Yeah. And And just trying to... They're just trying to do the, their part.
2: They have a, they have the shots there when they're in the bunker too and he's got the cigarettes up his nose and they're looking at each other and stuff too. I, yeah. there, I also noticed twice that John Cusack, because a couple of guys, that one guy shotguns that guy down on the ground and then he's punching another guy and John Cusack comes and pulls him off and yeah. then later when he's with... Uh, As he's walking with Nolte. Nolte, he's like, hey, don't do that.
3: Yeah, because the guy's mistreating a person Yeah, yeah. So
2: he's like... um He's, that's what I mean is like I feel like the that character um, played by uh, John Cusack yeah. fortunately he doesn't have a lot of screen time but I feel like very quickly you understand that that he's a career yeah. guy and but he also is not like Nolte, yeah where he actually he he isn't blindly just he wanting to, lost he his just humanity. Doesn't blindly want to yeah. win shit to win shit
3: but that's the thing none of the guys on the ground level want are Noltes. like not Sean Penn. Not Elias Cotis, not Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's maybe. Let me ask you
2: this though: Do you need a Nolte to win? Do you need a guy like that at the top who just blindly says, "Let's push forward, let's fucking kill everybody"? I mean, you
3: need somebody that's willing to lose people.
2: Not, not, but just not that. But just someone who like, who just like has one objective and will do anything to win that objective.
0: Yeah, you can't. uh, Unfortunately, in in a battle in a war, you you got to make hard hard decisions, and he can't see the individuals. He just has to say, I have 5,000 men. We're going to go up against a thousand of entrenched people. i will probably lose 40%, maybe more, but that's what we got to do. So go get it. I need that hill.
2: So is he right to, to make stars go back? Cause no. the stars fucking up the war. Yeah. No, yeah. I, from, I th-
0: think he's wrong. I yeah. disagree. I, I think Star Wars is an amazing leader and I've seen in some movies, um, like, um, Band of Brothers again, with Winters being like such an incredible commander, and he he wasn't reckless with his people's lives. In fact, um in the uh in the crossroads episode, which is just my favorite episode, he's like the first guy out running across the field, gets like a hundred yards on his men before they start going to like that's what you dream of as being the best leader. Um, but I think from where Nolte was coming from and in that stage of the war, uh, where they're when you're in the vanguard and you're like in the first waves going in, you're going to suffer massive casualties. So I don't think that you would do well in a battle to have guys who are really tight with their men and emotional about it. You'd have them refusing orders and like, I'm not going to proceed and they don't, they don't have the bigger picture. So I like uh, Elias Cote's character. I think he would have been an amazing commander later on in the war, but from Nick Nolte's perspective, it was probably the but, right thing to do. But
3: Nolte can't see and Elias Codis is a, fucking officer
0: so you got to trust your frontline officers
3: to be making correct assumptions about what's going on and relaying that information nolte can't see he doesn't know and if he's saying we're just getting they just have a fucking perfect position on where we're approaching them and they're chewing us up yeah we cannot push push this we need to do a flank and nolte's just like nope
2: yeah i i I think it's a double-edged sword but, but i agree with brent when he says that because only because i feel like you gotta uh, trust your you, manager. You need to. It, you can't just have all Nolte's. No, I'm just saying you. It, it would be like in business, for instance. So like, so my, so like, if you had a boss, I feel like the worst bosses are the ones who, if everyone just agrees with them and they're yes men and they have no opinions, mm-hmm. a good boss surrounds himself with people with many opinions so that he can get all sides of the story. And Nolte wasn't thinking that way. Nolte's like, fuck it. No, We're just going to do so this here, one thing blindly, mindlessly, no, no, and we're no. not going to assess things.
0: But here's the thing around that is that you you want your second and third in command to give you all of the information and feedback. But once you've made a decision to go forward, then it's on the team to carry that decision through for right or no wrong. No matter what. Yeah. But even so, if it means the absolute demise of your... yeah. And See, that's where I disagree. I think there's so many moving parts in that case. And it's it, it like, you don't want, uh, nobody would want people to die, no regular people. So you don't want to put your people in harm's way. But there's probably like their group wasn't the only battle group. There were other things happening around. And maybe maybe he needed them to go up to distract, like to, to absorb that fire so that other teams could do something. Or I don't know, it just, you can't, you can't be in a situation where you're, especially in the army now. So your business analogy is a good one, but the army is like time times 10 in terms of chain of command, right? um, Where leaders would be expected to lead their men to certain death on the orders of a superior because it would achieve it's, it's a shitty order and it's, they probably could have flanked and it would have taken a little bit longer and been successful. But for whatever reason, Nolte was driven on the time and um, the order probably should have been followed from a military perspective but not from a i would love to have i would love to have a fan who's in the military chime in on that because there's the emotional aspect of it where you like do you send men to certain death like to no purpose versus is it maybe serving a bit of a purpose or do you take those commands and do you go and and at what point do you draw the line um considering you know the the marines who would have been there had trouble getting up the hill and and you'd be very you'd be very focused on getting
2: where you can see Nick Nolte is not used to having his orders rejected No, he gets so flustered, right? He's like, what is this guy doing? Like I told you to do this. And then he's like, he's like, sir, I have a witness here. You should have a witness. And then he, then he's like, even more like infuriated. He's like, what, what are you like? You do what I say. I
3: feel like he knows he's wrong though. And that's why he doesn't push court martial or anything else doesn't even doesn't even pursue the the measures
2: i agree but at the time i like his i feel like his reaction is really his reaction is great yeah
3: that whole that whole interaction is awesome because elias codius is is consistent with his character nolte's consistent with his character and it's got us talking about this
0: right now right for like 10 minutes that
2: shows how good how good this is this is a great movie yeah Yeah. fuck yeah it's the thing i so i don't know if you guys want to talk about the ending but the thing i found i do the very end was, um, so we can go rewind backwards and stuff, but... Let's jump. But um, when the main character, Jim, because dies, or who they made the main character in the editing, Jim yeah. Beasel dies. The... Jesus. The thing I was complaining about when we watched it together was that he, they're at the grave and Sean Penn stays behind. And I was like, that should be the end of the movie. Because I love that shot with the plant in the ocean by the rock. And it's just a single plant by itself. It's mm-hmm. a great way to end the movie. But um, I actually realized what he's doing and what he's doing at the end of the movie. The reason why it carries on, and it's only for about five minutes. Yeah. And they have the new commander come in and it's Clooney. Yeah. You have a lot of voiceover from Penn. And, and what it is showing in the movie as a conclusion is like that this guy died and Penn did change from it. But life goes on and they have to get back to fighting the war. You, you have no time now. You have this new commander and you just got to keep moving on. And I feel like that's what that editing choice was. And I actually like it now. Yeah. And I disagree mm-hmm. with my first assessment. Where's, you,
3: where's your
0: spark now? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Is that what he says? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually agree with that.
0: I always think in my mind when I watch anything to do with war that to to be unprepared and then you go into a battle and it's like you see your friends get chewed up and you maybe get you definitely being shot at and maybe you kill someone and then that battle ends and, and for most movies sake you're on the victorious side. Um to, to de- debrief in your mind from all that shit and then to like suit up and go through another experience like that again. I don't know how, I don't know how.
3: No, and I actually had that thought after they do that first um, bunker, the one you guys were talking about earlier with like a lot of the pistol shooting and they throw the grenade into the machine guns and stuff. Yeah. I was, I actually had that thought watching that. I was like, Jesus, after this, you gotta do that again. Yeah, and, and again, again, and again, and again. And you gotta be thinking in your head, my odds here are getting worse. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no way that I can keep surviving this. Which one is going to get me?
0: Yeah. I, I, again, I, I just relate it to because it's so on the nose for, for what it's talking about. Band of Brothers, again, they talk about that and the luck. And then you feel invincible. But then as you perceive that the war is going to start ending, then you get really tight again with, with like, maybe I will survive. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I could survive this. I could if I could. But then you realize that all it takes is a random bomb drop. Step on a mine, a a stray bullet, and it's all fucking done. That's why Spears says he's
3: like, his secret is just you have to accept that you're already dead. Yeah. Then you can do what you need to do. Yeah.
0: And that's, he does that really well, but I think that's a rare,
2: I think that's
0: semi rare. I I just think the rest of the people just get numb from it. Be like, yeah, whatever, I'll get shot. There's that great conversation
2: too about between John C. Wiley, who had a very small part in the movie, which I heard was much larger, and he's talking to Penn about he they're sitting in the tent with the kid oh, doesn't feel nothing the anymore. kids dying and he's just like i look at that kid dying and i don't feel nothing i just feel numb and pen says he's not there yet or maybe he he is there but he just knew what to expect coming in mm-hmm. so some jealousy you guys yeah yeah that's, it's these great that's conversations crazy,
3: there's I, so many good conversations in yeah. this
2: it is really conversational this movie yeah and it's uh once again everything is such big scope
3: oh, okay real real uh Side note, though, the music is like, yeah, makes it. Yeah.
2: When this came out, I bought this Hans Zimmer and I I I'd listened to this. But it's album. not all Hans Zimmer either. No, it's not. But um I just would re-listen to this. I would I remember because I had the CD because this is how long ago it was. And I'd have it in my car. And I would just like I had I probably listened for like two or three weeks. Just that on repeat the whole album. It's beautiful. It's The music's fantastic.
3: I downloaded it yesterday while I was
2: watching. I was like, oh, man. Oh, nice. So good, the music. Yeah. I it mean, is so good. And the cinematography, like, this is John one of the whole, man. Top notch son- cinematography. Yeah. Like. Same guy did
3: Last
0: Samurai, Braveheart, Cloud Alice. Like, that guy's got a fucking eye. Yeah.
2: It's beautiful. And a beautiful
0: setting for everything, too. The, the, just, I don't know. I, I'm recently back from visiting Hawaii, which is a, a Pacific island. So you're getting a lot of the same lush greenery and, and great beaches and nice looking water and then... To the
2: colorful, color colorful, uh, like, birds. Everything. And nice blue yeah. sky. This was actually
0: filmed in Australia.
2: Yeah. Really? Is yeah. it?
3: Okay. I didn't know that. It just made more sense
0: logistically, I guess. Sure. It's going to be easier to access these
3: Oh, totally. Space sure.
0: Yeah. And just to, to blow it all up and, and show some of the horrors. That's crazy.
2: And the butterfly shot. Yeah.
0: The little bird in the mud and stuff like that, like...
2: Oh, coming out of the egg. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, I don't thing I wouldn't have done. I would have edited it out is when Nick Nolte points out what, what they were doing visually, which was the trees being swallowed by the vines. And then Nick Nolte's like, nature is cruel, stars. Look at that. Look at the <laughs> vines choke that tree there. It's just like, we don't need that because you're showing that to us. So yeah. that's one line I would have just cut. Yeah, because you don't need to point that out because we're that we're experiencing that and uh, i also felt like that was a little too high level for nolte i don't think nolte would have ever <laughs> started talking about nature is true sure or have. whatever nolte,
3: ah. nolte knows greece and talks about homer in greece oh yeah. you're right actually okay nolte nolte is a is a, is a fucking man. thinker yeah. he, he is an <laughs> intellect um he just is
2: a hard ass yeah he's you're, an
3: intellect on the other side of the scale he's not like the typical
2: liberal fucking um I, philosopher i forgot that you he mentioned homer you're right mm. yeah that, we read it at west point
0: Point. and didn't we have an issue with the way caviezel gets shot at the end
3: okay i, I didn't i never did until i watched this again
2: yesterday yeah
3: and there is a part of me that thinks you don't need to do that do what he chooses he chooses he commits suicide
2: yeah i know he does
3: yeah, why do you ask then?
2: No, but why you don't why why do you care? No, I'm saying why do you care that he does that? I don't understand.
3: Because it's it's kinda of pointless. Why?
0: I, I is mean Is he just calling it quits? Yeah, what I'm thinking is the because um, he's kinda of Jesus throughout the movie. Yeah, so and then and he Jesus chooses, kinda chose to sacrifice himself.
3: I know, but he already has sacrificed himself. He's already done the job. Him dying there doesn't serve any further purpose. He could become a prisoner of war. He's already taken those people away right? Pulled I've, them off of the track.
2: I feel like it was kind of bookended because at the beginning he talked about not seeing the beauty in death or the point of it, and then at the end he chooses it. So I, that's what that was my what I, my feeling. Yeah, so I yeah. I
3: don't disagree with that. I'm questioning why
2: he embraced it at the end, just like his mother. But he why? decided to embrace it because he was why? afraid of it though. And no, but he, that
3: doesn't tell me why he wants to die. He can embrace death and not choose to die pointlessly. There. Oh, so
2: you're saying why does he die there? Would you have been more okay with it if he was fighting them and they, they got him? Yes. Okay. That's if he not... if he
3: still chose to die in a hopeless situation but was doing that, but there he's there's nothing yeah, I to be gained.
2: Saying. Yeah. If he would have if he would have led them away thinking he was going to escape and then got in a firefight and got shot or something. Yeah, I don't mind
3: that he dies. I just wonder like, it's not, he doesn't need to it's die It's his either. choice, you mean, yeah. You could have framed it so that it's still his choice to die, but he's actually sacrificing for something. But he's already done the sacrificing and accomplished his goal, and he's alive. Could become a POW. And something that I felt was interesting was the Japanese guys that are there are being really understanding. When that guy's talking to him, like, you can tell he's saying, like, surrender, put your gun down, whatever. But he's not even, like, he's actually way better, way more um, uh, friendly than the americans are with the japanese guys true like he comes in he's almost in a place of like like warmth like like just put your gun down just put your gun down just just put your gun down let's do this and then you could see jim's doing it and he's starting to see jim do the thinking and he starts becoming a bit more passionate and then cabezal's like yeah i'm
2: tired does he does he kill anyone in the movie prior to the ending i don't think he does like does he go up to the the bunker nest with them He's uh, he, he's in
0: the vicinity, but I don't think he's
2: he's not with him on the queue no, of seven. No, I don't think he does that one. No, so he doesn't kill anybody.
0: No, he comforts everybody as they die.
2: I know that's what I mean. So, because yeah. my was,
3: favorite things is that he walks through and he's just like like you know, brush that one guy's having the trouble and he's like pouring water over him and like rubbing his yeah. head and stuff. Like he's so he's such a fucking gentle caress.
2: Apparently, Terrence Malick, when he was shooting the film. Um, just fell in love with um, his far off gaze and like and be- became obsessed with him being the main character, even though it wasn't written that way. And that was why the movie was edited so heavily because it was a choice afterthought. He kept and he kept shooting more and more of Cavizel over time just because there's something about him that that so he apparently he edits movies by shooting the movie long. And then finding what he finds interesting in the movie, and then what he finds interesting becomes what the movie's about, what fascinates him in the footage. And that's how this whole movie came together. And I'm sure he does the same with Tree of Life. He apparently shot all these
3: scenes too in like morning, afternoon, and nighttime, or like uh, whatever, so he could then decide later what lighting he he liked best.
2: Wow. <laughs> I mean, good. this would be an incredibly expensive movie anyway. Yeah.
3: Only $52 million, though, to, to make. Wow. Uh, 20 but, years ago, that's they a lot think, of money. That, oh, true. 21 years ago. True. But I guess they didn't.
0: the, the studio didn't think it was going to work. They didn't think that it could be made for that money. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people blow this movie off and just be like, oh, that that movie, that wasn't as good as as Private Ryan. But it's because it's, it's our our world right now is more centered
3: on this like action need need the simpler line need the easy
0: path yeah this is this movie has as much existentialism than any other aspect like maybe more like that's that's what it's about you're supposed to think about that kind of stuff it's supposed to make you consider these uncomfortable things
2: yeah it's supposed to evoke thought yeah not not be uh not hand not, spoon fed to you. It's yeah. just like, here you go. It's oh, not, it's it not, it Oh, it's stupid
0: poetry. You like the taste? I don't like the poetry. It's like, uh, yeah. And, and so, oh. I mean, I, I get it. I get it, but it's not it's rhyming, not though. I no, I know. <laughs> that's, that's the thing.
2: That's, I mean, that would be terrible if oh. it was rhyming. It would be Dr. Seuss. I Some I people need it to, it to make big sense.
3: Some people need it Giant Hill. Oh, no. It looks like he's dead,
2: Bill. <laughs> <laughs> For show. Um, I do, yeah. I do, um, I do have a great appreciation for someone who uh, does things so differently than everyone else. If, and it, and it if, works. If it works if, yeah. it works, if it works and this, I think we're saying that this does, do you guys want to call it or? Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm ready. Brent, you got any other, I could talk about it all day. Yeah. So want.
2: could I. Yeah. Um, the you
0: alligator? know, you know what you're getting into in this movie immediately. It doesn't sneak up with anything except making you think more and more and, and getting the same points at you. And, um, it's just a, it's a completely different movie that makes you feel strange but not because you're seeing all the violence on the screen it's because it's really striking home these points about these people and what they're going through and and we never get into the politics of it you just have a taskmaster trying to drive people to do these crazy things and you have some people who do it some people who don't and you they are constantly asking themselves why and how and it's crazy. It's a crazy good movie. It's really long too. Oh my god!
2: It's only two fifty though. Well, compared, to, I mean, that's a similar length to a Casino. I mean, The Irishman, the new that's three and a half, and like oh you geez. know, that's an hour too long. Probably. I don't feel like this movie's too long. That's no.
0: Yeah, I don't feel like this movie is too long because it's it's keeping the discussion going. It keeps you thinking throughout it and this would be just one of those rare ones that stands out because it's so different and it has enough story structure and just you're always thinking in your head and, and always in awe of how beautiful it is. And it, it just comes together. I think this movie absolutely holds up. This is a, a, a gem of a movie that I'd, I'd wager a lot of people have not seen.
2: Yeah, I would wager that too. And so uh, Dave, that guy, Dave's been on the podcast before. He asked me at work uh, because I asked him if the Irishman was too long, and he was like, "Well, what's too long? How do you define too long?" And I'm like, "If you want to, if you have to stop the movie and go do something else and come back to it, or you want to fast forward it, or you start to lose focus in the movie," and he said it took him. He took a break when he was watching uh, the Irishman and had to come back and watch it. He had to go do something else and come back. And I'm, I'm like, it sounds like it's too. It should have. Cause um, Tarantino was originally going to direct Kill Bill as one movie, and then realized it was way, way too long and separated. Like maybe, maybe this could have been, a, maybe the Irishman should have been a mini series of like four parts. Maybe it should have been like you know, a, some kind of a. You can do anything today with streaming. You could have it like become like two movies or two parts. Um, like stru- structure is everything, right? And this this movie doesn't ever feel that way to me this movie flows like water. That's what it, it's a weird way, but it's just like you,
3: but it's not typical structure.
2: It isn't typical structure, but I do feel like there's acts. I feel I can, you can see the act breaks in the hills.
3: The second act.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Our, um, there's, this is like a four or five act movie. It's not a a standard three act movie for sure. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, there's, there's nothing like this. Uh, There's not his movie. The tree of life is very similar. There's nothing like that either.
3: He's very poetical yeah
2: it's just uh, editing a movie the way he did it too he built this movie out of editing so so he he knew the movie he was shooting wasn't going to be the movie that ended up on the screen he and and that's a great thing when somebody is that open to um, to not being so rigid in your vision that you're stuck with what you shot. Because there's so many things you can do with editing a movie. You can edit it out of order. You can edit it for pacing. You can edit it for character. You can edit it for... Um, like American Beauty is a perfect example. That movie was a courtroom drama movie. And they edited out all the courtroom stuff. Because originally the, the, the kid and uh, his daughter were... On trial. On for trial the for the murder of him. Because they found that video. All of that was edited out, and they made it more of a life-affirming movie about like about appreciating your life. I mean, that's what great art is. When someone someone takes something they made, and uh, they actually even refer to it the they editors as, your as sculpting. They they said he he used the original five hours, and then sc- we sculpted this movie into something else, yeah. mm-hmm. and whittled it down to like what we wanted it to be
3: makes a film by reducing. He's a reductionist. Absolutely. Which is interesting, because most people wouldn't be like that. No. I mean, there's also there's always that editing process, but I think like what you to your point. Yeah. It's it's more so that he built a huge lump of clay and then
2: peeled it away. Yeah. That's which a, is very cool. Yeah, this movie will stand the test of time. I think
0: I, it's so it's got to be so hard to make a movie all the way through, like because you write the script and it sounds good in your head, and you can vision it in your imagination, and but then Then you have to get your actors to perform it to the level that you want. And then know that all of the scenes are going to have to come together and be even. It's amazing. It's amazing to think of how difficult that must be. And and it's even more amazing to think that there was so much to this and it started going east and we ended up going west with it and still came together with something that it's so different than a typical movie. It's hard to judge it on the merits of how you judge most movies but it pulls enough of the core pieces together and does it so beautifully that it, it's something else. It's just something else.
3: The um, This movie is number two on Scorsese's best movies of the 90s, and it's actually number one because his number one actually got released in 88. So, like, think about that testimonial. It's pretty fucking crazy. Um, what are you going to say about this movie that we already haven't said in three hours? It's fucking amazing and it's poetic and it's philosophical and it makes you look inward a lot more than you do in a lot of movies when there is action sequences they're good too yeah yeah the action is good the action is good the stuff in between is good the interpersonality of the movie is very cool and there's even relationships going on that like you're never seeing the relationship like that guy with his girlfriend right and like you could see like that's carrying him through the whole movie and then at the end when she writes that letter And she's like i have no i have no right to talk to you like this and like forgive me my friend and like i i like there's still a place like that's just the whole dear john letter is written so well by itself (laughs) jesus christ like oh man i love this movie and i was one of the few people when it came out i remember loving it and everyone seemed to hate it and i think it's like we were discussing because the action and the typical the the, the typality or whatever of the fucking yeah. Saving Private Ryan, and everyone knew Spielberg way more of a household name than well, now. You got Tom Hanks yeah. and like that that whole ragtag like group of soldiers marching through and stuff. Like it gives you a more constant um, line.
0: And to I think follow. I think the European part of the war kind of resonates more in folks' minds when they oh, think of the World German War Two than, yeah. than the Japanese part of it. Oh yeah, because nobody thinks weird. about
3: the Japanese as being like this this terrible fascist government yeah they think about what the nazis did to the jews and stuff right um i mean i fucking love this movie man one of my favorite scenes is is kind of what carries through the movie for me is when he's it's just that shot of that japanese guy's face through the dirt the mud yeah and he's and it's his monologue and and he's that guy's looking at him and he's like do you think like do people love you or you loved, you know? Like know that I was too. Like do you think that your suffering will be any less because you uh because you love goodness or yeah. whatever? Like that stuff to me is so fucking pure in the moment of it, like just for reflecting and 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 realizing it's not good versus evil always, right? Then actually John brought up Band of Brothers a lot and there's a scene in Band of Brothers where they're walking by those German prisoners and the one guy says something and the guy in Speaks back from the German prisoner camp, but he's American, and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" And he's like, "Oh, I got a call to the motherland, right?" And you see a bit more, like these people really are your neighbors, right? And I think this movie does that excellently, and it fucking holds up a million percent. And I was scared that Colin was gonna say it didn't, because after we watched it together that while ago. Colin was like I got some major problems with this movie and I was like coming in today I couldn't wait to discuss art <laughs> versus go. movies right No and I was mean like this is fucking It art. was just and because deserves... the way we
2: watched it it was we didn't we didn't watch it we talked over top of it the whole time. So yeah. I had to watch it again by myself and yeah. then I had to like go back and look at some things. But uh but it, it the first time I watched this movie the very first time I watched, it was just it had just come out and I watched it with a couple other people and and uh, it was at my the place I was living at, at the time and they all went home and I was like, I don't like it. It's boring. It's stupid. And I was just like, but I was just like, I don't know. There's something about it. I But I didn't know if I liked it or not. And then they left and I stayed up all night and I watched it again by myself. And then I was like, oh, and I, st- I was like, this is a good movie. I'm like, I don't understand why it's good, but it's good yeah this movie uh, has resonated with me through time so I watch this like I watch this like back to back the first time I saw it I watch it two times and I've done that with like Kubrick too
0: yeah it's okay not to understand this movie if you like went through this movie and you didn't hate it but you didn't instantly love it and you just kind of were left with some questions I mean like that made me feel weird then you deserve it you owe it to yourself to wait a little bit and then check it out again and then you know check it out every year or two and see if a, a different element, about it. yeah. And do I, a little reading and see if it strikes you different for the different scenes as you, as you mature as a person through your life, you'll find different things to connect with and different perspectives and different characters that align with your values and um, and your view on on life.
3: Some of the criticisms I read were, were toned towards things that I thought Colin was gonna come in with today where they're like, it wanders, the structure isn't tight, stuff like that. And while, while it does wander, um, it's still consistent. And I don't feel like, like, I feel I I do feel like this movie is like Colin was saying that it's it, he sculpted this. It is fucking art, man. And I think art is best when it doesn't fit the constraints of what people expect art to be. Yeah. And this movie does that really fucking well. And it is like John said, like poetry it's it, like poetry it's like a painting it's it like can a almost sculpture. be it can
0: almost be tough awesome. to put your finger on why it's good this is for me this is a really hard movie to 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 review we talked a lot about what we found beautiful but it's hard to like take it from a concept and say what what was the best about it? Yeah. Um. And and a lot of good art is like that. And and it's very polarizing for people. They love it or hate it. And and the people who love it or people who hate it probably also a have a tough time art. saying yeah. Even in the editing, a tough time saying exactly why.
2: Even in the editing of this though, they he makes sure to to have the Jim Caviezel and the Sean Penn character be the spine of this movie, and he carries their story throughout all of the the places where you might say they wander he he makes sure that those guys continually come back and bring you back into a narrative and there's a spine
3: their relationship there's develops so well it too does, like yeah. we didn't even talk about that but from where they start where Champagne's like i'm gonna put you with the disciplinary unit and he's like i could take anything you throw at yeah, me he's like, Screw. i'm a better man than you are or whatever and um and then at the end they start talking
0: about um you know, like finding his beauty in life or like whatever And he leads a patrol. Caviezel leads a patrol. Yeah. Like volunteers for it. That's not something he would have done at the start. Part of the thing I
3: love about Caviezel is when he volunteers for that one thing, he's like, he's like, I want to go. And he's like, you don't need to go right at the end. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. I like, I just want you to know, I think it's a bad idea. But if something bad happens, I want to be there. there. Yeah. I fucking, one of my favorite characters in film ever, Jim Caviezel in this movie, man. I love the nature with which he loves undisputed loves just caring just the biggest heart
2: yeah it's just that look that like a that like that million mile stare he has yeah that's what i feel like terrence fell in love with because he shoots so much of it you capture
3: the universe in his eyes it looks yeah. like the like the scope of what he could be thinking about is could be magnitude off and, this planet and, yeah and right? yeah,
2: yeah. I, I always so the the mo- other movies that i've seen once and and had to watch again because I wasn't sure about her. There's a I, there's a list of them. It was this one, Clockwork Orange. Mm. Um, the definitely the uh master saw that oh, and yeah. I was like, what the hell was that? And I had to watch it again. And uh there was one other one, but I can't remember. Oh, Eyes Wide Shut. Mm. I, I watched that back to back too. I watched it. Um I was watching with the girl I was living with at the time, she fell asleep as usual and then she went to bed when i was like it's over now you go to bed and then she went up to bed and i was just i was just sitting there going what the fuck was that movie about and i watched it again and then i was like this is a good movie
3: eyes wide shut i actually watched twice in a row too yeah Mm -hmm. i
2: had to i just i love sex parties i (laughs) I just couldn't figure out what the hell was going on the first time and i and then the second time i watched it i'm like i get it now or at least i got it from you know whatever i needed to get out of it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is similar to this movie
0: very interesting well uh as we knew this was a polarizing movie when it got released how do you feel about it now let us know up at gmail.com if you hated it try and tell us why try and get real specific with why and uh we'd love to hear that we'll read it out on the air and shit yeah yeah live Other than that, uh, we all think this movie's pretty solid. So uh, do yourself a favor, get into the art that is Terrence Malick uh, in Thin Red Line and check it out. Look at his old shit, too, because people say it's better than this. Yeah, so he's got lots of good stuff, for sure. All right, folks, thanks for listening as always, and have a great day. Enjoy your shit.